You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Locked On Indians podcast. I am your host, Jeff Ellis. So let's start out talking about the virtual Indians. I'm putting a fork in it. Um, it's just gotten too ridiculous. Like, I was going through and playing catch-up today, and after that, like, nine-game win streak, the Indians lost 10 in a row to the Orioles, the Tigers, I'm seeing they're running the team, and I'm like, so the Orioles can absolutely hammer the crap out of Mike Clevenger, but the Indians are struggling and getting no hit through five by Tom Malone. This, the logic of the game just wasn't there, and it pains me to say that because I've probably put more hours into baseball mogul than any other game, but, it, you know, the the rosters, yes, I know they've done updates, and maybe it's better, and I maybe I'll, I'll restart and sim to a point and try again um, before I put a, a final nail in the coffin. But I'm going to update the file, at least what there was when opening day started. It just wasn't usable. There's too many guys who were available who shouldn't be. Um, too many guys with weird ratings that don't make any sense. Um, and it just, like I said, it wasn't working. <laughs> the, the, the results were just all over the place. I enjoyed uh, the one game where I had a, a triple play and four double plays in it, and the other team never hit into anything, including when their like, catcher hit a ground ball to the first baseman. It just got to be. So virtual Indians for now, we're going to bury it. I'm going to update the game, see if it plays any better, and then I'll look into OOTP. Um, I just went and uh, put it on my wish list on Steam, so I'll get an update if it gets a discount. But that's where we kind of are with the virtual side of things. So this week is the What If series on Locked On Sports. And I thought, well, what's, what's a good locked or what's a good what if for the Indians? So I kind of went and looked at the 1980s Indians because I was always something I've always been curious about the fact is that the Indians have never had the first overall pick in a draft. Um, they had the worst record in baseball, but the first overall pick used to alternate American League team, National League team, American League team. And the Indians always had the worst record in a year where the National League had the first overall pick. For instance, uh, I want to get the years right. In 85 and 87, they had a 377 and a 370 winning percentage. They would get the second overall pick uh, in each of those years. Make sure I have things correct. In the 86 draft, which was due to the 85 failings, uh, the Indians took Greg Swindell. Now, that worked out great. That was a fantastic pick. Um, I mean, you could argue not as fantastic because in the the top 10, you know, the fourth pick was Matt Williams. The fifth pick was Kevin Brown. And Gary Sheffield was the sixth pick. But, I mean, Greg Swindell still had a career war over 30. He had the fourth best war in the top 10 and in the first round of that draft, if you get one of the four best players in a draft class at two, uh, you're doing you're doing good work. Like I, I can't really fault uh, the Greg Swindell pick, and that's also the fun fact where you know Kent Merker went fifth to the Braves, uh, you know, out of Dublin High School. And then when we come back in '88. This is one where you can you can go ahead and fault them if you want. '88 uh, was not a great draft at the top. They took Mark Lewis who did manage 900 games in the majors. Now, here's what's fun about this. So we talked about that Merker in 86, first high schooler off the board from Dublin, Ohio. 87, first player, uh, high schooler off the board was from Moeller High School in Ohio. And in 88, the Indians took Mark Lewis out of Hamilton, Ohio. 
I, it's a, a an amazing run. The second high schooler taken in that draft, third overall, who went to the Braves was Steve Avery, uh, from who was from Michigan, which is why I point out because these are not schools or states we see doing that anymore. That just does not happen. Uh, another interesting thing: the twelfth overall pick was. Tom Fisher, who never made it to the majors. The Red Sox took him, a left-handed pitcher, out of the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Why is that interesting? That program doesn't exist anymore. That's right, the University of Wisconsin. uh, Big Ten program got rid of baseball a few years ago. Who could the Indians have taken? Well, this is, again, not a grand draft, but in terms of players who actually signed, the biggest value uh, by far, Robin Ventura. And then you have Jim Abbott, Steve Avery, Greg Olson, the reliever, Charles Nagy, who the Indians uh, got later on in that draft uh, as a compensation pick. We'll talk about that. And Brian Jordan. I just <laughs> So if you've been following me on Twitter, you saw my rant where, you know, everyone's making a big deal about Michael Jordan and his ability to, you know, play baseball and basketball. And no matter what you feel about his ability to play basketball, like they put these like supreme athletes up there and it was... Kyler Murray, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and I'm blanking on like a really obvious one right now, Deion Sanders. And Deion was an okay baseball player. Let's just leave it at that. He was not great. He was okay. Bo, barring injury, was really good at both, though there were some flaws in his game that I don't know uh, if he would have been able to sustain his level of production in baseball. Kyler Murray was never great at Oklahoma. Um... He was. I did not give him a first round grade because I thought there was a lot of things he needed to improve on. Uh, so you know, whatever. But they left off Brian Jordan. Brian Jordan made the Pro Bowl in his third year as a safety for the Falcons. And if the Cardinals had not signed him to a uh, a baseball exclusive contract and the Bo Jackson thing kind of pushed all that through, I mean, Jordan went on to have a thirty two point nine WAR. Like he's a excellent, excellent player. And any list talking about the greatest multi-sport athletes, Brian Jordan and Bo Jackson have to be near the top. Yes, Danny Ainge played in the minors. Um, Cleveland tying, you know, Dave Logan and Dave uh, Winfield. Winfield did play for the Indians his final year. Those were players drafted in three sports, which always stands out. Uh, there's a tight end who's uh, I'm blanking on who the Indians drafted. Uh way late in like the 60s in a draft who was drafted in multiple sports some of that stuff of multiple sports drafting is always weird because there's the nba the aba there's so many other leagues so sometimes i count him but uh just to get back on brian jordan was really good so the indians got that extra pick because the giants signed brett butler and they took advantage of it now Jim Abbott was a really good pitcher at the University of Michigan, and you, by now, I assume everyone knows the story about him only being born with the one left hand and him figuring out how to handle things. You know, he went ninth overall to the uh, Los Angeles Angels. He would eventually sign with the New York Yankees and that big contract and kind of struggled there, but man, imagine if they'd taken Jim Abbott just those early years for the Indians, having a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he finished third in the Cy Young in 91. And he was really good through 92 with the Angels. I mean, this is a guy who was 7.6 uh, war, 5.7 war. That's at age 23 and 24, 91 and 92. Then after that, he just struggled. Like, the he went to New York, and it did not work out um, for all sides. That's right, he was traded to the Yankees um, for J.T. Snow, was the big piece, and Russ Springer there. 
you know, maybe if he stays in a smaller market like Cleveland, it works better for him. Uh, he was so good for the Angels. It's just so weird that after the age of 24, it just he goes to New York and it doesn't work out and he never gets it back. But still, imagine Jim Abbott on those 90s Indians, uh, just in terms of that second overall pick. But that's not our big what if. We're going to really dive in the what if in a moment here. Uh, what if, while the Indians had the worst record in the American League in 85 and 87, what happens if they'd also had the worst record in 86 and how things are different for the Cleveland Indians? So the other day, uh, all of us locked on podcasts were arguing about the Built Box uh, from Built Bar because we like it so much. Um, you know, I know the Locked On Yankees host is also ordering a new box and she was coconut almond was her favorite, but she got the raspberry chocolate and the brownie delight. Um, Sean, uh, who is the Raptors podcast guy, agrees with me that toffee almond's the best. Ryan, who's with Kansas City, went for banana nut bread. It seems that, you know, peanut butter brownie also gets a shout out in here. Uh, Sully uh, said chocolate raspberry. Basically, we had a nice little 30-minute argument about which one we liked. Salted caramel also getting some votes in there. So I think going through the data here real quickly, it's uh, salted caramel, the raspberry chocolate one, and toffee almond are, are the favorites. So if you're going to go out and get a built box, those might be the ones to try or try the ones that appeal to you. And all of us are kind of agreeing. There wasn't one that we didn't like or didn't eat. Uh, at worst, it was just one where you're like, oh, it's it's okay. I have my two boxes coming this week. So the Built Bar is the company. Uh, multiple hosts are all endorsing it. We all like it. It is a fun sponsor for us. So you're going to go over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code locked on. You get $10 off. I know uh, I did two boxes, so it ended up being, because shipping is free, like 60 bucks. And yes, that is pricey, but I was looking at like the Quest Bars I used to buy, and it was like I was paying 23 on Amazon for those. And they weren't nearly as good. Like, I'd rather play, pay... Like, I still have one on my desk. Like, I probably should throw it away because I'm never going to eat it. So in this case, I know I'm paying more, but I'm getting a product I enjoy that I'm going to eat and that I'm not going to have any food waste from. So that's that's all for me why I'm like... It's more expensive, but you're getting a good product for that price. And it's going to be, for me, it's a better use of my money. So BuiltWire.com, promo code locked on. Like I said, out of nowhere, this was not even like planned. We just had a big debate because we all enjoyed this product so much. So growing up, I was always intrigued by Willie Mays. He was kind of a larger-in-life figure in my mind. And as a small child, if you'd ask me who my favorite historical baseball player was, it was Willie Mays. I talked about the NES game. I still need to go look up the title. But why I wanted to play that game was because it'd be the chance to play as Willie Mays. So that's why this... Uh, sponsor is really interesting to me and it is 24 life stories and lessons from the say hey kid in this reflective and inspirational memoir the legendary willie mays shares the inspiration and influences for guiding him on and off the field widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history the beloved willie mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity integrity and triumph this special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for a perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now, wherever audiobooks are sold. So I had talked about this idea of what if the Indians had... Um, I'm laughing because it's this idea of what happened. What would have happened if the what would have happened if the Indians had maintained uh, their terribleness? And you know, it, it's 
interesting because you go through and the Indians were bad, but for a lot of those years in there, they were fourth, fifth, occasionally sixth. They were not the worst team in their division, but a handful of times. And unfortunately for them, outside of Swindell, they really did not hit on that pick. Um, you go through, and, and the other time, they had the second overall pick. You know, we talked about, I mean, Paul Shuey is he's a good reliever. Um, I need to give him more credit in Indians history in terms of his ability as a reliever. But he's a reliever second overall. You need more than, hey, he was good for a few years. But in general, the Indians had these years when they were picking second overall. And it's interesting, the Greg Swindell year, the first overall pick was Jeff King. Um, so in some respects, I'm sure if they were picking first, they would have taken King. So they actually got lucky that year that they didn't have the first overall selection. Uh, King was a good player to get me wrong, but Swindell was a better one. Though on the other side of the coin, if they had been picking first overall in 88, they get Andy Bennis, who, as I recall at the time, was considered kind of the premium guy in that class. Maybe they still take the local high school kid. Um, it is interesting to see how often they did that back then and how much they do not do that nowadays. But Bennis would have been a definite improvement uh, for that team. Uh, it, it's one of those you kind of look at and you go, oh, man, imagine a world where they took, you know, well, Bennis is off the board, you know, in most things. So your what if is just imagine if it was like Steve Avery or Jim Abbott or Robin Ventura. Uh, it's a very different situation uh, for them. But the bigger thing is, going back to the 1987 draft based on the 86 season, the Indians in 86 um, overachieved. They were over 500 on the year. Joe Carter was a fantastic nearly six-win player for them. I believe the 87 Indians were the ones who were famous for like the Sports Illustrated, like this is going to be the team that gets over, um, which they most certainly didn't. But because they excelled in 86, they picked 15th overall in 87, or they would have. But if you remember recent podcast talk, they decided to sign a backup catcher named Rick Dempsey and gave up the 15th overall pick because they did that, uh, because they needed someone to catch 60 games for them. But let's say the Indians get the first overall pick in 1986. Who do you take? Well, I think you take the local high school kid again, right? And in that case, that's Ken Griffey Jr. Um, from Archbishop Moeller, the Cincinnati, Ohio kid. He uh, was the first overall pick. It's interesting. There are other strong players. Kevin Apier uh, is in the first round. Jack McDowell, who would eventually join the Indians. Craig Biggio, another Hall of Famer in there. Uh, Delano DeShields had a successful career. And future Indian Travis Ryman as well. But... The chance to add to that core of Indians talent, Ken Griffey Jr. Now, the downside is, I mean, this is all relative, but uh, the downside to adding Griffey would be maybe they don't make that trade for Lofton. Maybe they don't see the have, you know, they have a young center fielder in system. Maybe they still view that as like, hey, um, I mean, that was such a minor deal in the grand scheme of things. Tomlinson and Blair for him. Maybe they still make that trade. It's a it's an interesting thing to think about that all of a sudden those 90s Indians teams so if I pull up, you know, we follow our what-if scenario. Let's jump into the you know, the 95 Indians when I pull this record up here. And if they had been awful in 86, they were awful the two years surrounding it, but not that one year. If they had been awful and had gotten Griffey, then you're looking at a team whose outfield would have been Albert Bell, Kenny Lofton, um, and Ken Griffey Jr. And if they don't 
get Griffey, you have Manny Ramirez still. And I, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, okay, so if this trade goes through, they probably don't sign Eddie Murray because they don't have a place for him. Uh, so your DH is maybe Manny Ramirez, or maybe Manny spends one more year down in the, in the minors. He was 23 years of age in 95. Uh, he had debuted in 94 at 22, so I don't know. But I think probably the most likely thing is Eddie Murray just isn't with the team. Imagine the ground, too, that Lofton and Griffey would have covered in that outfield. You probably still have Bell and left, but he doesn't have to move, and Ramirez is your DH. Uh, that is quite the team. And then over the years, like if when Bell leaves, um, they maybe still make the fantastic Lofton trade, and we discussed why that's great, because they got um, multiple good pieces that they were able to, to move around and still bring Lofton back. The question becomes, would they have been able to keep Griffey? Would he have, you know, was Cleveland close enough to Cincinnati that he would have been uh, more content and willing to sign and stay? That was a time when the Indians could spend a little bit more. And then just in terms of the national dollar, like how much more money would he have brought to town? Like would he have made it possible to keep more around? Like he would have made Cleveland a bit more of a baseball focal point than it already was. But I mean, it's just fun to to go around and try to picture what the lineup would have been. I mean, if you're just going to be like if I want to be lazy and just look at OPS so you imagine Lofton's probably still your one hitter uh put maybe Bayerga two with Griffey three four Bell uh five Tomy six Ramirez I I feel like I'm you know that's already like wow that's you can have uh Vizcal at nine Alomar at eight though he was not the catcher of record that year. He didn't appear in enough games. Uh, I think the Tony Pena had the most, but still he's eight. And then your seven is Paul Sorrento. Uh, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's I mean it's already a fantastic lineup, obviously. It's one of the, maybe the best. The 95 lineup might be the best in Indians history. But imagine going in and adding all-world talent in their prime, like Ken Griffey Jr. And that's, that's the what-if that could have happened. Um, they were so bad in the 90s or in the 90s in the 80s i mean in general the 1980s for the cleveland indians they were i'm trying to see if they had any other years where they finished above 500 and i no, they did not they were always under 500 except for 86 now let's say that they weren't terrible they were just merely uh bad that year if they don't finish with the top overall pick let's just say they um they're closer to their normal win total which puts them somewhere between you know a top 10 pick but maybe more of a late top 10 uh at that point maybe instead of griffey if they're picking somewhere like nine or ten would they take kevin apier the juco kid i mean that's the other thing now imagine the indians we don't have griffey anymore on that 95 uh indian squad but you have your rotation of you know, Dennis Martinez, Charles Nagy struggled in 95. I don't know how many people remember that, but he did. So Hershiser was, was solid for them. And Mark Clark was pretty good. Uh, Chad OJ was not bad over his 100 innings. And Ken Hill was your sixth starter. I kind of forgot about Ken Hill and how they traded for him. But in this whole situation, if you have Kevin Apier, I mean, you look at the Indians then, <laughs> there is not a guy on that team who was a FIP under four. Uh, the best FIP actually belongs to Nagy at 413 and then Martinez at 416. So all of a sudden that Indians playoff team is Kevin Apier is your number one. I don't have any doubt about that in terms of uh, what the Indians had 
and what they had put together. You put him in 95, Kevin Apier made his only all-star team, which is crazy to think about, and he was 27 years of age. I wish my mouse would stop moving. He had a 348 FIP and 389 uh, ERA in general, 8.3 strikeouts, 3.6 walks. He was would have been by far the Indians' best pitcher. So then you get to go... Apier, Martinez, Hershiser, Nagy. Is that maybe the playoff rotation? Does that allow them to beat the Braves? I don't know. I mean, the Braves team was was pretty loaded, and the Indians had an up-and-down postseason. I'd have to really dive into box scores. But either way, uh, you know, first overall pick is a drastic change. Second overall, not. I mean, if they're picking farther back in the top 10, that's still a drastic change in this what-if scenario. So the one year where the Indians could have been terrible, they weren't. Um and it led to some false expectations that they were going to improve, and instead they collapsed. And the what if is just what if they had been bad that year? Um, in terms of building this Indians core, how different could have things been for them in if they had been bad the one year they were over 500, if they had had one more high pick to kind of help build that core of players, build that core of a team? If you are curious about what the Indians did in the rest of that 89 draft, well, or I'm sorry, the 87 draft, I should say. Uh, they drafted Albert Bell in the second round, probably the best second round pick in team history. They went local again with Roger Bacon High School uh, in St. Bernard, Ohio for Tom Kramer in the fifth round, who did make it to the majors. The You go down the list, though, the only other player who really made an impact was Steve Oland out of Portland State University, who they took in the 16th round. So not a whole lot um, outside of basically two players in that class for the Indians. So, and the the thing is, you look at it, if they had gone and had that first round pick who adds another like 30 war, all of a sudden we're talking about this class, maybe not quite up there with the uh, 1989 draft for, you know, single greatest drafts in Indians history. Uh, The 89 draft did have a total war of 154.2. Right now, the 80, uh, I keep getting messed up it's the 87 draft based on the 86 season the 87 draft is at about a 40 so you add in another you know huge value player in there and that skyrockets it up so yeah that's that's the what if scenario for today what if the indians had not overachieved what if they had been bad and what that team could have looked like uh, and how that could have helped that 90s indians team maybe get over the hump um, in those years when they had their chances, you know, in 95, 96, 97, uh, it felt like after 97, kind of the wind went out of those sails. But during that specific three-year run, how did, uh, how would have things shifted? How would have things changed for the Cleveland Indians? I want to thank everyone for listening, rating and reviewing, downloading. All of that is so important to our little show right now. It is a hard time for podcasts. That's just the way of it. You're not in your car. You're not maybe out doing as much. There is not as much listening to podcasts, so I appreciate you giving me your time. I really do. Thank you. As always, you are awesome. I've been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. I did recently get my new website up and running. Uh, Very bare bones. I have laid out my mock draft. I've now got to write it, but it's all laid out, so keep an eye out for that. If you're curious, I'll have three Indians picks in that one. And as always, go Tribe.